How many of you have ever lost something? I'm not talking about your mind. Bob, you're done. You're done. Um, how many of you have ever lost something where you go, okay, I've lost something, and it's like, oh, doggone it, that's where I put it. Okay, a lot of us, right? How many of you have ever lost something where all of a sudden you break out into a sweat? Oh, yeah? Yeah. yeah. And it's not just like uh, 15 minutes later you find it, but it, sometimes it's like a day, a week, and you go, where did I put that? So this morning, what I want us to do is to talk about loss. There, there's a, a certain way we can lose keys or phones and things like that. And those are temporary things where it's like inconvenient, right? Ah, shoot, I've got to get a new set of credit cards because I lost it. I got to cancel all that stuff and I got to change all my bank account because I got, I lost it. And what an inconvenience that is. Or I can't find my keys. I can't. So I, I have to search for a day or two or, or maybe you've lost a wedding ring and you don't know where that wedding ring is. And it's like, oh, how am I going to tell this person? Those are inconveniences. And sometimes they're shameful things because they're gone and you don't know. But there are some things that when you lose them, it's not just an inconvenience and it's not just an awkward kind of thing. They're fatal. They're fatal when you, you lose these things. Uh, right now, you're breathing at a rate somewhere between 12 to 18 breaths a minute. Some of you are a little bit quicker because you're, you're anxious about, uh, man, I lost that and it's really making me you know, feel really upset. But if you lose your ability to breathe, you really only have, give or take, a minute to live. It, it, your heart is beating every second. And some of you are really fit, so your, your heart is taking the odd second off. Some of us, are, our hearts are just beating a little bit harder because we're not quite as fit. Uh, some of you are sitting beside somebody you really like, so maybe your, your heart is kind of beating a little bit faster, like thub, 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 I love you. But if you lose your heartbeat, you really only have a short little while to live. There are some things that you hate to lose, like... Your, your money, your credit cards, your phone, your, uh, something precious to you. There's things like that. But there are some things that when you lose them, they really are fatal. They are life and death kind of things. And this morning, we're going to see some things, that something that is fatal to lose. And one of them, according to this passage that we're going to read, if we lose this thing called the gospel, it is absolutely fatal. It may sound like an overstatement in some way, but it is not. If we as a church or individuals lose the gospel, it is absolutely fatal for us. So stand and listen to Paul's letter to the church in Galatia, starting in chapter 1, 1 through 9. And listen carefully because he has a message for us. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me. 
to the churches in Galatia. Grace to you and peace from our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who himself gave, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be all glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished how quickly you, that you so quickly, let me start that again. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some of you who, some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel, gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, and now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you have received, let him be accursed. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So let me give you a little bit of background to this book of Colossians. As we look at this book, this book is written primarily to a group of churches in the Asia, in the region of uh, known as Galatia. And this was written by the Apostle Paul on his first missionary journey. So it's kind of early on in Paul's, in Paul's work as he's doing his church planting ventures. And so this church would be in what's called South Central today, Turkey. And Paul came to this area years before, and this area was full of worship and just of local gods. There is a pantheon of all kinds of different kinds of gods out there. And there, this quirky guy, this guy named Paul, came to town, and he began to preach that there is just one God. And this God had in, unveiled his plan for, for the world through this Jewish man named Jesus. This Jewish man named Jesus was executed by, by the Romans. But Paul argued that this one and only God had raised this Jesus up from the dead. And now God is building this brand new family of men and women and children where there are, are, are no divisions. There are no divisions whatsoever between different racial groups that were all spread throughout all the world. There are no more divisions. There's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, anything. God had created a new family. And Paul has taught this, and, and the people believed it. They received this gospel. It was good news to them. And by the time Paul moves on, the churches had started over, uh, had been started all over the area. Church after church after church after church. People were sharing this good news, this Jesus Christ who had come to save them from their sins, and that God was creating a new community of people. But now a few years had passed on. Others had come in to claim they knew a little bit more about this Jesus. They had a kind of a new insight. They said they have, they know something like this, that, listen, Paul is a good guy. Don't get me wrong. He's a good man. They say he's got some funny ideas, though. 
He's kind of muddled. And we've, we have talked to the real authorities. And here's the scoop. You need a little bit more. You need a little bit more if you're going to be a good Christian. Yes, you, you need to believe the gospel. You need to believe that. But there's more to it. It's Jesus plus something else. Well, Paul gets wind of this. And that's where we find ourselves at the start of this letter. Paul has caught wind of this Jesus plus something else. And I want you to kind of notice two things before we really get into uh, the, the other stuff, the real kind of major content. I want you to first notice that Paul is really ticked off. He's ticked. Have you ever, I don't know if you've ever received an email, a text message, or uh, an actual letter from somebody. And it's the kind of, when you open it up, you go, ooh, this is scathing. This is kind of hot. You kind of need, need oven mitts to kind of touch it. It's one of those kind of letters. Um, well, this is one of those kind of letters. It's, it's kind of like Paul has some, some really strong words and he's not holding back. I don't want you to understand it. Paul has not blown his lid. He is not out of control. He's not going to kind of come back and uh, retract everything that he said. He said, no, no, I, I want you to understand. I am upset and I have some words to say for you and I'm not going to regret what I'm going to say to you because we've all had those moments, right? The kind of justified, I need to tell you what I think, and then all of a sudden it kind of goes, oh man, that was a little much, I need, I'm sorry. <laughs> Paul's not going to at the end say, I, I shouldn't have said that, I'm sorry. You can tell that he's upset because normally Paul's letters start off with a prayer of thanksgiving for the recipients. Oh, thank you, church in Philippi. You are wonderful. He starts off with just these, these, man, God has done this great work in you. But Paul skips right that and he gets down to business and he doesn't mince any words. He's, he's very honest about the problems with a, a Jesus plus something else approach. He says, listen, that is wrong. But secondly, Paul goes to great lengths in the first few verses to just establish his authority, who he is. And, and here's why that's, it's important. I'm a pastor, as you know, and sometimes I get, uh, I get letters from people. Sometimes they, they aren't kind ones. Sometimes they're, they're wonderful ones. But when I get a letter that is anonymous, I might read it, but it doesn't carry much authority because there's no name and therefore there's really no relationship. If you don't have the cojones to write your name, into the trash it goes. If it's somebody outside of our church saying, hey, I was listening to your website and I didn't like how you handled this, I'm going, you know what? You don't have, that bears no weight. It might make my heart skip a beat for a little bit, but it's not like, I don't know you from Adam. What are you even doing listening to our podcast? And who gives you the right to come in and, and criticize? But if I receive that letter from you, an elder, somebody from our presbytery, or within our, uh, the Presbyterian Church in America, it's going to carry a little bit more weight, right? They, they, have some, they have some authority. 
So Paul writes, and he's not just any schmo out there. No, he's an apostle, not from man, nor through men, a man, but through, he's an apostle through Jesus Christ and God the Father. He is putting out his credentials right there. This is who I am. Do you understand? I'm an apostle, not through men or a man. I am an apostle appointed by Jesus Christ and God the Father. He's an apostle. He's hand-selected by God and by Christ. He is writing with divine authority here. He has a word from God. And what's more, he writes, with all the brothers who are with me. Paul isn't some lone ranger out there kind of doing his own thing. He is united. He has co-workers with him. And what he teaches is shared by all the other brothers who are with him. He has credibility among the other leaders of the church. And Paul is someone that they need to pay attention to. And here's why it's important, not just for Galatia. We need to receive this letter because it comes to us, you and me, with divine authority. This letter historically was written to them. This letter is also written to us. This is not just somebody else's historical opinion of what was going on in that time. It's been handed down. This apostolic message has been handed down to you and me, and we better pay attention. Here's another reason why we need to pay attention, because we face the same danger that the Galatians faced. You and I face this this same danger, which is a lack of clarity on the gospel. And if we lose the gospel, my friends, it's like losing, it's not like losing a ring, a passport, a telephone, uh, or a, a credit card. It's nothing like that. It's a fatal loss. It's an absolute fatal loss. If we lose the gospel, we need to shutter the doors and the windows, close it up because we are dead. It is absolutely fatal. So it's critical that we understand. And I know what you're thinking. Some of you might be saying, so what is this gospel that is so important? Some of you might be saying, okay, Paul, really? How can you say that we are in a... any kind of danger of losing this gospel. We're a gospel-centered church. We love Jesus. We sing to Jesus. We, We give to Jesus. We do all these things. The reality is Paul answers them in this passage. Here's what he's doing in the passage. He he says two things. He first says to us, the gospel has content. The gospel has what? Content. The gospel has content. And then he says. Don't lose it by adding to it. So by looking at what Paul says, I'm hoping that we as a church will grasp the gospel and then we'll grasp the very real danger we face of losing the gospel by adding to it. So let's look at the first thing that Paul says. The first thing is that the gospel has content. Verses 1 to 5, Paul, an apostle, not through 
not from man or through man, man, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches in Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, here we go, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be all glory forever and ever. Amen. Haddon Robinson, a, a well-known uh, preacher uh, and professor of preaching, said something quite sobering in a quote that I read. He said this, We don't preach the gospel. As I listen to some preachers, if I were an outsider, honestly, I honestly wouldn't know what I was to respond to. We want to reach people, but the clear terms of the gospel are seldom enunciated. It's probably an exaggeration, but I don't, I don't think in my lifetime I've heard 20 messages that I would say were clear gospel messages. If you don't know any jargon, didn't have any religious background, if you came to church and wanted to know how to have a relationship with a holy God, the sermon would not tell you. I read that and go, I am screwed. <laughs> Think about that. that. That really, that quote scares me, it terrifies me as a pastor. As a preacher, it's easy to be unclear about the gospel and do a bad job of communicating it. It's easy to get kind of sucked up into, the, hey, you want a good life right now? Do these things, these things, these things. We're going to focus on these next four weeks on marriage. We're going to focus on these next four weeks on, on uh, being financially free. We're going to live the, these next three weeks on raising great kids. We're in these next three weeks on this. We're next four weeks and we're going to have all these great series on, on this, this, and this. But we miss the gospel. We, we got great marriages, we got great kids, but we, our souls are dying and we're slowly dying this fatal blow from missing the gospel. So Paul is going to do us a big favor in this passage. He is going to define what is this gospel that needs to be enunciated clearly for each pastor and member of the body of Christ. He's going to give us a gospel <coughs> nutshell. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a, a great preacher from the uh, last century, observed that there are 30 or 40 gospel nutshells in the Bible. Kind of compact descriptions of what is the gospel. And this is one of them. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, who who did what? He gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present age according to the will of God, our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So verses 3 and 5 give us a snapshot of the gospel or the gospel in a nutshell. And here is the gospel in three parts. The first part is what Jesus did. He gave himself 
for our sins. That is the first piece of the gospel that we've got to understand. Jesus gave himself. The word for means on our behalf or in place of. The heart of the gospel is right here, my friends. What Jesus did at the cross. He gave his life in our place. He became our substitute. Jesus suffered and Jesus died in the place of sinners so that they could be forgiven of their sins. This is the heart of the gospel. The gospel takes us immediately right to the cross. Jesus died for sinners. This is the heart of the gospel. But it leads us to the second part of the gospel. And the second part, or the, the second part of this, this nutshell, what the Father did. So first, what Jesus did. The second part is what the Father did. Verse 1 says that the God the Father raised him from the dead. Verse 3 says that we have grace and peace from whom? God the Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is also the good news that God the Father accepted accepted what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross. He accepted it as good and perfect. And when the Father raised Jesus from the dead, it is evidence that he accepted Jesus' work and the new age has dawned. Something new is beginning. And for those of us in Christ... The moment that we receive this good news, a new age has dawned. The old is gone and the new has come. That is good news. And as a result of that good news, we now have grace. We now have God's unmerited favor and we have peace. That's why we pass the peace of Christ every week. Because we have the peace of God. And this peace is God's blessing of well-being in our lives. May the peace of Christ be with you. And we need to remember that every week when we pass the peace of Christ. It's not just social time, handshaking time. No, my friends, we are reminding you. May the peace of Christ be with you. Also with you. Yes, he's resurrected. We now have grace and peace. It's ours in Christ Jesus. This is good news. Right? So Jesus has done something. God the Father has done something. And then lastly, the third part of this nutshell is it tells us why he did it. Verses 4 and 5 say, To deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our Father, God and Father, to whom be all glory forever and ever. Amen. So God's intention is to rescue us, to deliver his people from this present age in which there is all kinds of evil and opposition to God. Uh, I read this past week that the Christian religion is basically a rescue religion. It is about God saying, I am rescuing you from this this present evil age. I am taking you out of it. I am saving you from this. You are no longer destined to destruction. And he did this ultimately for his glory. Yes, for your good, 
Praise be to God. But it's ultimately for his glory. Glory, God's glory and praise are displayed supremely in Christ and his cross. And I hope this is clear to you. I've heard all kinds of interviews with pastors who have, have, when they've been asked to define the gospel, and I just kind of go, oh, no, that's a train wreck. Stop. Stop. No more. Sometimes you'll get those kind of the answers like, well, it's about the golden rule. You know, just to love others as yourself. That's the gospel. Is that really good news? Or, or, or maybe it's, it's the great commandment is the gospel to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. Friends, that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. In fact, that's law. If you are careful thinking it's good and it's commanded by us, right? To, for us. But it's just not the gospel. The gospel is the good news about Jesus. Ultimately, if you want to give, give me one word, what is the gospel? You should say, Jesus. Jesus is the good news. He came for me. He rescued me. And, and you know what? He was raised from the day. He took on the wrath of God on my behalf. He became sin. He who knew no sin became sin for me. He gave me all of his righteousness. Jesus did this. And he took all my sins. Jesus was raised from the dead so that my justification is secured and God accepted it as good. Jesus is the good news. That is it. So friends, it's the news about Jesus giving himself. God accepted it. The worst person, the good news is that the worst person that you have ever met or the nicest grandma that you have ever met can be completely forgiven and made right with God through the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ at the cross. We must respond by trusting in what Christ has done for us. The gospel has content and this content ultimately takes us to the cross. It leads us to the cross. But then Paul tells us something else that we need to know. He says, don't ever add to the gospel. Please don't do that. Because if you add to the gospel, you are going to lose it completely. Do not add to the gospel. You can add to your house and you're not going to lose, lose it. In fact, you're going to add space and maybe value to it. You, you may add to your education, right? You can add to your education and you can get more education and more degrees and more skill. But Paul says, do not add to the gospel. Do not do that because if you do, you are going to lose it completely. And losing the gospel, my friends, is absolutely fatal. It is fatal to churches and it's fatal to individuals. And that is, ever so, uh, that is a danger that evangelicals have and even fundamentalists and liberals, that we'd like to add Jesus plus this. And Paul says in verses 6 to 9, I, I am absolutely astonished that you are so quickly deserting him. 
You're deserting, and you're, and you're turning to a whole nother gospel. Not, not that there is another gospel. Did you hear that? You're turning to not, not that there really isn't. I, I don't want to mix words, Paul is saying. I shouldn't even use the word gospel. Not that there is another good news. So what's the problem? There were some people in this church saying that Paul's message was incomplete. It was short. It was good so far as it goes, but you have to add a little bit more to make it complete. And in their case, they they were adding obedience to the Mosaic law and the covenant. They wanted people to become Jewish and to obey the Jewish laws like the law of circumcision. But Paul was saying they're they're not simply just adding to the gospel. They're deserting it. They're leaving it behind. Look at the words that Paul uses. Deserting. Distorting. He's saying that they're turning to not just a slightly different version of the gospel, but to a whole other gospel. One that's contrary to the correct one. One that is no gospel or good news at all. Paul goes so far to say that even if an apostle, even if an angel would come to you and preach this different gospel, let them be, what's the word? Accursed. Now, that's that's not just a, a light word that we should take. This is the harshest possible term you can ever imagine. It means to be finally condemned and destroyed. If anyone preaches another gospel, adding to the gospel, Paul says, let them be irrevocably punished by God and completely wiped out. What Paul is saying is very important for us to hear. He has given us the gospel message very clearly. What Christ has done, what God has done, and what is, what, what is happening in this. And now he says that if we ever add to this gospel, this good news, we are going to completely lose it. Any gospel that makes anything other than what Jesus did at the cross, the basis of our relationship with God, is deadly. You add to it, it's deadly. If anyone tells you it's the gospel plus your behavior or the gospel plus doing something else, they have told you a false gospel. We've got to be clear on this gospel or else we are going to completely lose the gospel. I love what we prayed for this morning, right? Man, I, we want to pray for guests, uh, people who are seekers, who are coming to our church. We, I pray that we are going to be inviting people, saying, come, hear, the, hear this, this good news about Jesus Christ. But if we tell them the wrong gospel, Paul's going to say, may you be accursed. He says, I want you to be be very clear about what is the good news. There's the gospel, and then there's the fruit of the gospel. And we've got to be absolutely clear about that. So there's a couple applications I want for us this morning. And every one of us knows how easy it is to drift, right? Right? I remember going uh, a few years back, uh, our family went to 
<clears throat> the Outer Banks of North Carolina, and it is absolutely gorgeous. And we parked the, the, the Jeep on the beach there, beautiful beach. And uh, that orange Jeep is kind of like a, a signal of where home base is, right? And so we're, me and the kids would be playing out there and in, in the water, and after a while, we find ourselves a good 50 to 75 yards down the beach. How's that happen? It wasn't just about chasing beach balls. It was drifting. It was the current, the undercurrent, things that we couldn't see that was slowly, gradually pulling us off course. Friends, the same things can happen in our lives and in our church. Tom Schrainer, in his thick and heady book on Galatians, says this. The clarity and the truth of the gospel could easily be lost. So many other things may clutter our minds and our hearts and lives that we may forget about the gospel, thinking all the while that we have not strayed from it. In our churches, we may begin to concentrate on what it means to be good parents, to have a good marriage, to form meaningful relationships, and to make an impact on the world and all good things, of course, so that we slowly and inadvertently drift from the gospel of free grace. It's so easy, he says. It's so easy. The gospel is accepted. The gospel is assumed. The gospel is confused. And then the gospel is lost. I hope you realize this morning how easy it is to drift from the gospel. Remember, think about the Jeep. I knew I had drifted and the kids had drifted when it was no longer in front of me. And I'm suggesting that we use the cross of Christ as, as our marker. And any time that we assume that we have uh, drifted, we need to put our eyes and our heart and our lives back onto the cross, focusing right head on. Here's the cross. Jesus is at the center of this all. I cannot drift from it because I could easily lose it. Second thing, point of application is, I want to ask you if you are clear on the gospel yourself. Many of you have been raised in the church and you're at a point where you kind of assume you understand or know what the message of the gospel is. Do you? Do you understand that the heart of the good news is not that you must be a good person? That's not the heart of the gospel. That's not what the good news is. Or that the good news is not that you've got to try harder. Or that you, your good deeds must outweigh your bad deeds. That's not it. Do you understand that coming to church and being a good person or even being a ministry leader, a Sunday school teacher, or a greeter, or a deacon, or a pastor does not make you a Christian? The gospel is the good news that Jesus has taken your place and that he has given himself for us so that we might be delivered from this present age and delivered from this present age. Free. We are no longer slaves. We are no longer captives. 
We have been delivered and set free from this bondage. And we have peace and grace to the glory of God. So my friends, if you have not looked to the cross, this may be your opportunity today. Looking to the cross for the first time to say, God, I have added, I, I believe in a gospel of just, if I just modify my behavior, if I add to it, I'm going to be good enough. And Jesus says, no, that's not good news. That's behavior modification. Trust in me and me alone. So my friends, this week, rehearse the gospel. Rehearse it with those that you love. In your missional community, your family, your friends, just say, so tell me, what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? Let's make sure that we've got this down. Because we, we as a family, we as friends, we as a church, we don't want to lose the gospel. We want to be clear on it. It has content. And that content sets people free. So let's rehearse it. And I'd love to hear next week people say, I got the gospel down. I understand its message. I, I have greater clarity. And you know what? Here's the fruit from believing this gospel. God is renewing my marriage. God is making me whole again in this area. He is transforming my workplace. He is giving me courage because I understand that my identity is found in Christ and his gospel and nothing else. So let's make it our goal this week. Rehearse the gospel. Let's actually be, let's be gospel-centered, not just in preaching, but in what we understand, what we communicate. And let's not lose it. Amen? Let's pray.